There's so much health advice floating around, online, among friends. But who can you really trust? Trust the experts. Listen to the world's brightest medical minds, our very own Cleveland Clinic experts. We ask them real questions, tough and intimate health questions, and we get real answers, all originally recorded live. Hi. Thank you for joining us. I'm your host, Nada Youssef, and you're listening to Health Essentials Podcast by Cleveland Clinic. Today, we're broadcasting from Cleveland Clinic main campus here in Cleveland, Ohio, and we're here with Dr. Georgian Botak. Dr. Botak is the head of podiatric medicine and surgery here at Cleveland Clinic, as well as a founding member of FLIP, which stands for Functional Limb Preservation Council, correct? Correct. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here today. You're welcome. Can you tell me a little bit about FLIP? Sure. So FLIP is a term we designed about two years ago to represent a collaboration of a lot of specialists mm. to prevent diabetic foot complications and ultimately amputation. So functionally preserving limb you know, preservation is trying to restore mobility to patients who have foot problems and leg problems, whether it's mm. poor circulation or poor sensation, infections. So between vascular surgery, podiatry, orthopedics, and wow. plastic surgery, we meet regularly and try to come up with good pathways and try to help treat our patients comprehensively. So like a multidisciplinary approach exactly. with everybody needed. That's yeah. perfect. Great. And so today we are talking about foot problems. And please remember, this is for informational purposes only, and it's not intended to replace your own physician's advice. So before we jump into the topic, I'm going to ask mm -hmm. you three questions completely off topic just to okay. get to know you better. Okay. So did you always want to be in medicine? probably wanted to be in medicine starting like in eighth, ninth grade. Wow. Okay. Of course, before then it was like a flight attendant, you yeah. know, and an actress, but starting in about eighth, ninth grade, really trying to think about life. I thought I really want to help people and medicine was a good platform. You know, we have direct patient contact. You can really change people's lives. So I wasn't sure at that point what kind of medicine I wanted to practice, but no regrets at this point with that's treating amazing. foot and ankles. Yeah, that's great. My daughter's eight and she's talking about being a doctor. I'm like, wow, that's early. Yeah, it <laughs> Go is. for it. It's natural. <laughs> now, if you had an extra hour of free time a day, how would you use it? Oh, exercise. Exercise. Yeah. Perfect. Never enough time to exercise, yeah. you know, yeah. just physically and mentally feel much better to move. So, sure. so much of our life and especially work related, we're sitting at a computer or right. standing at a computer. So just be able to get and, and move and uh, whether that's yoga, spin or yes. whatever. Yeah. 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 That's a great exercise. answer. And then what is your favorite thing to do on a sunny Cleveland sunny. weekend? Well, it depends <laughs> on the time of the year. The time of the year, definitely hit an Indians game. Okay. Yes. In the fall, that would be the Browns. And in the winter, probably a Cavs game on the weekend. But otherwise, you know, if I can get out there and bike or walk my dogs myself, that's also a great day. Excellent. Great. Yeah. All right. Well, Back to discussion. So our feet take a lot of abuse, walking, running, hiking, all kinds of stuff. So naturally, there are subject to many different types of problems um, from improper footwear, diabetes, aging. They all contribute to foot problems. Right. So before we get into that, I want to first talk to you or I'll have you talk about the anatomy and the design of a foot because mm -hmm. I don't think we think about it much. But yeah. what is it? The feet are pretty intricate, mm -hmm. you know, with uh, 26 bones and 33 joints. And many people have more than 26 bones, too. We have a lot of yeah. accessory little bones in our feet that we can have, which you don't really know unless you have an x-ray. Um, oh. But they're meant for shock absorption and cushion. And we really do get a lot of use on our feet. The average person probably walks about 150,000 miles. So that's like six times around the world, okay, wow. in a lifetime. So, um, you know, it's natural that as we get older, 
that we kind of have, just like you wear and put wear and tear on your tires of your car, yes. you're going to be wearing down your feet too. Yes, yes. So can you talk about uh, some of the common problems that you see from the patients that come to see you here sure. at Cleveland Clinic? Sure, sure. You know, there are a lot of common problems that patients don't necessarily come to see us with, whether it's warts and toenail fungus and athlete's foot that can affect. But I would say on an average day, probably the most common symptoms what we'll see will be heel pain or arch pain, mm -hmm. just generally getting out of bed in the morning and have heel pain, pain across the ball of the foot that occurs after age 50, that's on the forefoot. Mm -hmm. Um, lifting your heel from the ground, feeling that pain across the bottom of the foot. Arthritis in the feet can affect ankles, midfoot, forefoot, hammer toes, bunions. So wow. those are the more common reasons, yeah. you know, people come to actually see us with pain and pain that's usually prolonged. So does, does that sound like it's more age related? Or it can be. Definitely. If you go to our waiting room, you're going to see more people over the age of 50 and 60 <laughs> than you are 20 and 30. But, um, you know, we do see as a, a foot and ankle doctor and podiatrist, we see patients of all ages. Sure. Mm -hmm. And now something like uh, diabetes, um, mm -hmm. they have, they could have a lot of foot problems with diabetes. Right. Can you talk about the issues right. that come with yeah. that? Yeah. Diabetics in specific do have a fair number of foot problems and it really originates from two issues, either poor circulation or poor sensation. Okay. So poor circulation would be a lack of blood flow getting to the feet mm -hmm. and that can cause subsequent problems, whether they realize it or not not healing a corn or a callus, developing a blister or a sore that won't heal or having pain in the foot and leg. And even swelling in a foot and leg can be circulation related. Mm. Neuropathy, which is a general term that can affect up to 40% or more of diabetics is a loss of feeling. So it's really our job when we do a diabetic foot exam, which are typically done annually to determine, is that person with diabetes at low risk of developing a foot problem or at higher risk? So if someone has a lack of feeling or poor sensation, that puts them a little bit at higher risk. Imagine putting your shoe on and not realizing you had, you know, a key in your shoe, right, a, right. a Lego in your shoe, wow. you know? So as time wears on, you can wear a hole in your skin, like you can wear a hole in a sock, okay? Wow. Not realizing it. So neuropathy is not feeling the whole foot or the whole bottom it of the feet? It starts in a stocking and glove distribution. We say gloves, fingers of our gloves and the mm. tips of our toes. And as it progresses, it can move further up the foot and leg. Sure, sure. Mm -hmm. And then how about um, arthritis? Do you see a lot of patients? I see a lot of arthritis, absolutely, especially with aging population and people are living more longer, healthier, active lives. Right, So right, right. We used to see a lot of arthritis 20 years ago in the 40 and 50-year-old population. Now we're seeing it in the 70 and 80-year-old population, even 90s, never being treated for arthritis before, coming in with severe arthritis, but because they are active on, on these aging feet, have pain. I see. I see. Mm -hmm. More anterior. So are there any other symptoms or signs that accompany foot pain that is usually related with yeah. foot pain? A lot of people come in with swelling, you know, swelling of unknown origin. Just my feet are edematous or it's hard to fit on shoes or, you know, something's rubbing with a sock and shoe and not really knowing the source of the swelling. So swelling can be a just a sign of poor circulation, or it can be a sign of arthritis. It can be a, a sign of other more systemic conditions. Okay. And the swelling usually starts in the feet. It, it can. It okay. often does. Just imagine sitting and gravity pulling, you know, yes. that, that blood down to your feet. So, yes. um, you know, obesity is a huge issue as well. A lot of our foot problems that we see occur more commonly in people who are above their ideal body weight. Mm -hmm. And swelling is one of those too. Sure, sure. So when is it time to seek medical treatment for foot pain? Because just like you said, sometimes you, you know, you wore yeah. the wrong shoes or you walked too much. When yeah. is it time like this kind of pain is different? Yeah. You know, there are definitely some people I'll see that their pain just started yesterday. So it yeah. really becomes a subjective or elective 
um, treatment when you decide that you need to be seen. But in general, if you can't walk on your foot comfortably or you're limping, it's probably time to have an evaluation. If you feel like you have a problem that's worsening over the last few weeks, you know, I kind of use that four-week mark. I mean, typically, if you have pain for a day or two, <clears throat> it can resolve. You know, right. our bodies are amazing. They can right. heal themselves, or you can kind of nurture and just listen to your body. But um, if your problem has been prolonged, it's getting worse, or it's not relieved with things that you do, whether it's modifying your activity or modifying your shoes or taking a Tylenol or icing your foot, mm -hmm. then, you know, uh, it's probably time. Okay, great. So what kind of how do you diagnose foot pain? What do you mm -hmm. do when a patient comes to you and tells you, well, if it's not yeah. like a wart or ingrown yeah. nail, if it's just pain, how do you diagnose yeah. it? How do you evaluate I mean, so it? So much of uh, an exam is just by touch, you know, a physical exam, looking, touching, listening to the symptoms. So if it's in the soft tissues of the feet, there are times that we don't need to go further than an exam, okay? Mm -hmm. We're checking circulation, checking the sensation, looking at the skin, putting a foot through a range of motion, detecting strength, and comparing both sides. You know, you should always take your shoes and socks mm -hmm. off both feet when you go in for an exam, okay. just to compare. But if um, it needs to go beyond that skin or a physical examination, then the first thing we'll order is a plain x-ray. So okay. a plain x-ray just to look at an overview of the foot. You're looking at your the bones of your feet, looking at the joints, looking at the bone density even. You know, you can detect systemic illness sometimes just by getting a foot, foot exam and having an x-ray of a foot and noticing things. So a plain x-ray is done in the majority of patients. If we're looking for a little bit more detailed information, another go-to test would be an ultrasound. So an ultrasound of the foot or ankle can detect things that are happening mainly in the soft tissues, the tendons, the ligaments, even some of the nerve structures. Um, and actually, a, an ultrasound can detect some bony problems too. Mm -hmm. It's a, a low-tech and a inexpensive way to get more information of the foot beyond a plain x-ray that just looks at the bones and joints. Mm -hmm. An MRI is often done in um, more recalcitrant pain or more acute injuries where we really need to see the anatomy with more detail. Mm -hmm. A CT scan is another radiographic test that can be done to, to look at the bones of the feet. Mm -hmm. So if there's any congenital, you know, from birth type issues or um, traumatic issues, a CT scan, or even a foreign body, this time of the year we see a lot of foreign wow. bodies, you know, glass and splinters and um, that sort of thing can be gotten uh, quite a bit of information with a CT scan. Sure, sure. Mm -hmm. How about any blood tests for diabetes or arthritis, mm -hmm. anything like that? Yeah. For you know, tests? diabetes is such a multidisciplinary yeah. condition that for the most part, most, you know, blood tests are being done by the primary care doctor or the endocrinologist. But there are times that we may, you know, need to step in if someone hasn't had a, that type of care, preventive care, that will get those types of studies. Or if someone has an infection, we may be monitoring an infection through laboratory work. Sure. Another probably most common test that we'll get in the diabetic is checking the circulation. So we can get what we call an ankle brachial index. So we do this in, a, in my office where we'll get a blood um, pressure exam of the ankle and the arm and compare blood pressure, just assessing the circulation to the feet. But a more extensive or more, you know, I guess accurate way would be to go to a vascular lab and have Dopplers done and be able to detect the blood flow from the heel and uh, hip to the tip of the toe. So sure, sure. a Doppler exam is very sensitive. So what would usually be the um, reason that 
something like mm -hmm. blood circulation not getting to your feet mm -hmm. um, besides diabetes is there yeah. anything else that yeah there are other conditions that can affect circulation most certainly in combination with diabetes one of those is cigarette smoking so tobacco abuse if you've smoked even if it's been in a remote past and you smoked about 20 years or more that can definitely impact the arterial blood flow the blood that gets from your heart to your toes mm -hmm. just like it can affect the blood that gets to your carotid arteries that right. go to your brain or your kidneys okay sure. So um, smoking is definitely a coexisting condition or a past medical condition that can impact the circulation. Um, other coronary artery disease. So we see a lot of diabetic patients who have heart disease or kidney disease that too can impact the circulation getting to the feet. Wow. So if I have someone who comes in who has a you know a history of diabetes, they have coronary artery disease. You know they had a 30 pack year history. They smoked from the time they were 15 to you know, 45, 50, right. we're, we're going to get an ABI PVR. If we can't detect pulses and we can't hear the pulse, we're going to get that more sensitive Doppler exam. Sure, sure. Can we talk a little bit about something like gout? Sure. How do you check for gout? And, mm -hmm. and if you can explain also to the audience yeah. of what it is yeah. and how you get it. So gout is a crystal type disease where you can develop this crystallization around the joints. Often it is the foot because urate or the monosodium crystals can deposit in the foot. It's a cooler place, okay? Your foot's cooler than your core temperature. So typically we have what's a condition called podagra, which is a red, hot, swollen, big toe joint. Mm. So gout affects mainly men before the age of 60, but once we get to the age of 60, it kind of evens out affecting both men and women pretty fairly equally. Um, gout, you're more prone to gout if you have a history of high blood pressure, you've been on diuretics. Mm. Um, men typically have more urate, urate in their blood system. So we have this uric acid or urate in our blood system normally. But sure. when we get an over deposition or an under excretion of those crystals, it can deposit into just about any joint mm. in the extremities. So it's a very painful condition. Yes, okay? yes, yes. And that is tested, is that, could that be tested through blood? So it can well? be tested through blood. Um, a high uric acid level can be diagnostic, but we can also get those crystals out of a joint. So if we oh. numb up the foot and aspirate a joint, we might be able to see those crystals under, you know, wow. a microscope. Wow, mm -hmm. that's very, very interesting. So then that's when something like uh, your foundation flip, this is when yeah. you would, something like gout or something with diabetes, this is when you would have the multidisciplinary approach of talking about one patient? Is yeah, this how yeah that that's works? kind of another discipline. Yeah. <laughs> that's <laughs> rheumatology <a> or <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, rheumatology, endocrinology, primary care with um with our profession. So yes. that's another group. Sure, sure. Okay, great. So um, what is, I want to talk about treatment for foot pain, ice or heat, because you always hear like, oh, I, I did something to my ankle. Should I heat mm. it? Should I, I know you, earlier you said cool it, right? So ice in general is something that I usually recommend for most foot and ankle problems and pain because it's just a natural anti-inflammatory. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's nobody makes any money off of ice. So it's the most undersold item, but it really <laughs> can give you a lot of bang for your buck. Okay. But then when we think about our population of patients or the person who has diabetes or potentially some decreased circulation to their feet, you know, it's like the, the very branches at the tops of the tree where the focus or that stem or root comes from the heart and your blood vessels have the most um, blood circulating. By the time you get to the extremities, the tips of the toes, those branches are, are more brittle. So to put ice on the tips of the toes is really not a smart thing to do most of the time to cause more decreased circulation to that part. But if we put 
ice more on the backs of the knees or at the ankle area, it can give you a lot of good foot relief. You know, the most common application of ice probably in our practice would be um, a fracture. Someone who breaks a bone, we're going to put ice on that area. Someone who's just had foot surgery, we're going to ice it down. That's a great anti-inflammatory, sure. you know, or an acute injury like an ankle sprain. Other more chronic conditions, we don't have a lot of beefy muscles or a lot of cushion in the foot. So that's why heat isn't generally recommended unless you're soaking your feet, trying to maybe draw out something, whether sure. that's a foreign body or an infected ingrown toenail. Oof. Oh, yeah, toenail. So mm-hmm. let's talk about ingrown toenails because I feel that's like an everybody kind of problem. And a lot of people, yeah. you know, go just get Absolutely. that done at the nail salon. Every day, all day long. Yes. Yeah. Can we talk about how yeah. to prevent them and why they happen and yeah. why some happen to more people than the others? Sure. Yeah. So it used to be that ingrown toenails were really the most common in teenagers, okay? Mm -hmm. Teenagers would just kind of get aggressive or their toenails would grow really fast, all of a sudden have a growth spurt and be wearing their soccer shoes and are two sizes too small, you know? So teenagers still are um, more the at-risk group for ingrown toenails. But at the same time, I feel like over the last 20 years of my practice, I see more people in their 50s and 60s and 70s coming in with painful ingrown toenails. Um, For one, the nail can become a little thicker as we get older. Whether that's a fungus or just normal wear and tear, the nails become a little thicker and the shape can change. Basically, our toenails can kind of change shape like our shoes do. All right, your shoes are rounded, it's hitting the outside of that big toe, and the nail over time kind of adapts and starts to grow down into the flesh. Um, Some people just don't cut their toenails really well either, you know, or really go digging, doing that bathroom surgery and creating this chronic recurrent ingrown toenail. And then also we think about, you know, the lifestyles. So if you're running and jumping and playing volleyball or other sports, the nails get the brunt of some micro trauma and the nails start to grow ingrown can be very painful sure sure yeah so um i kind of wanted to go back to the surgery thing mm-hmm. that we talked about with foot surgery and ankle mm-hmm. surgery i want to talk about recovery what is expected mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. things like that if someone does have to have ankle or foot surgery yeah that's probably the main drawback to surgery. You know, we've got good ways to control pain. We've got better equipment and internal fixation now to fix problems, but it's that post-operative recovery. Yeah. You know, some conditions you're off your foot for eight to 12 weeks after surgery. Some of the major reconstructive surgery that can be done to the foot, you just need time to heal. And again, gravity pulls and you're carrying two to two and a half times your body weight through your feet with every step you take at times. So, you know, elevation and compression and being immobilized in a boot or a shoe can really, you know, lay it, lay out for a while, decreasing your work time and your activity time and being active or even driving. Um, So depending on what kind of procedure that time can really change. Okay. I know that I try to get patients walking as soon as possible, but that would be for the more, you know, minor surgeries. So we're getting patients walking in modified shoes or padded, you know, surgical shoes. There's different styles and different heels on surgical shoes now. Um, We're typically using more removable devices rather than casts, which are quite heavy and cumbersome. So um, there is a period of immobility where you're not 100%. Not every surgery requires crutches or a walker, but there are those it's that like, do. Yeah, yeah, on your feet. That's uh-huh. the hardest one. To, that is to, the hardest part. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. to not work with. And imagine not driving. Right. It's, it's, yeah. if it's your right foot. It's right your right foot. Ankle. Yeah. That's, don't know what to do That's about rough. that. That's real that rough. That is really rough. So um, finally, I'd like mm-hmm. to talk about preventable measures that we can take. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if we, if we are healthy, we don't have diabetes or arthritis or anything mm-hmm. like that, you know, to prevent warts, to prevent, mm-hmm. uh, you know, ingrown toenails and, yeah. and things like that. What preventable measures do you mm-hmm. suggest? Yeah. Well, first of all, barefoot is for babies, okay? 
as we get older, we should wear shoes. Yes. All right. So the shoes are protective. Um, just today I had a patient come in, diabetic. You know, I've seen him for over 10 years, maybe 20 years now. And I look and his shoes are like, have the holes in them and he's got no socks. I'm like, where are your socks? You know, you feel like you're talking to your kids. But um, socks with the shoes are important. Um, your shoes can be your treatment though. So when you look at certain conditions that you have, I mean, your shoe shouldn't be more narrow than your foot. It should be round. It should be the same shape as your foot. Um, you know, I'm maybe because I'm a woman too. I'm not opposed to flip-flops all the time <laughs> or a little bit of a wedge or heel yeah. or sandals, but, um, we have to be selective too. You know, yes. your shoe is a good investment. A good shoe is a good investment. So not every flip-flop sandal or high heel is the same. Yes. You look for more platform or more gradual change to the heel, a chunkier heel. Um, for, for sandals, we can have good arch support. Some of the footbeds of many sandals are kind of like built-in foot inserts or mm -hmm. foot orthotics. Um, some of the flip-flops now have deeper heel sets, have more arch support. In general, I say take that shoe and just kind of put it on one side of your hand, cup it on each side of the palms of your hands, and try to squeeze the shoe, okay? Mm -hmm. If that shoe squeezes, you could stick it in your pocket. That's probably not the right shoe for you. There's no support, okay? Right. It's going to lead to potential plantar fasciitis, um, potential hammer toes, potential ingrown toenails, metatarsalgia, pain across the ball of the foot. So having a solid sole to the shoe and I think even going and getting your foot sized. Yeah. So many people wear shoes that maybe they wore five or 10 years ago, and our feet do change over time. Since 1980, the average shoe size in an American has gone up two sizes. You know? wow. So is it the shoe? Is it our feet? Is it our food? I don't know. <laughs> but it is worth getting fitted because the width of your shoe that you're wearing might be different than what you really truly should be in. Yeah, yeah. And my, my mm -hmm. foot size completely changed when I got after pregnant pregnancy. and after pregnant. Yeah, there absolutely. You and yeah. sometimes you feel like it doesn't even go back. Yeah. <laughs> and how about like heels? Uh -huh. I mean, heels really mm -hmm. hurt when you have an uncomfortable and a lot of women yeah. like to wear pretty shoes. And yeah. These heels, you, you talked about the ball, the foot, and all that good stuff. Right. I mean, that can yeah. really damage it. There are so that... many shoes out there, and some are better than others. But once you get beyond, like, two inches, you're putting so much more weight on the ball of the foot. Mm -hmm. um, also, high heels can hurt your back yes. and your knees. So um, the general rule is try not to wear a shoe that's greater than two inches more than three days a week. Try not to use them, wear them back to back. You know, pick your days so that you're not wearing those higher heels on the days where you're going to be on your feet for more than four hours of mm -hmm. walking walking and standing. Yeah. So kind of yeah. using them wisely. Or maybe you walk into the job in your comfortable tennies yeah. and then you put on your higher heels limitedly throughout the day. Sure, sure. And maybe get some foot massages on the weekends. Can't hurt. In there. Can't hurt. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time today. Thank yeah, you. You're welcome. And to schedule an appointment with a foot and ankle specialist, you can call 866-275-7496. Thanks again to everybody listening. I uh, hope you enjoyed this podcast. To listen to more of our Health Essentials podcast from Cleveland Clinic experts, make sure you go to clevelandclinic.org slash H-E podcast, or you can subscribe on iTunes. And for more health tips, news, and information from Cleveland Clinic, make sure you're following us on Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, and Instagram at Cleveland Clinic, just one word. Thank you. I'll see you again next time. This concludes this Cleveland Clinic Health Essentials podcast. Thank you for listening. Join us again soon.